1: Uh, now live streaming, yes. <laughs> That's exciting! <laughs> that exciting! So, welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast live stream.
0: Thanks, Danny. Have fun into it's everyone's fun. homes.
1: It is fun, yeah. And so, everyone, I hope everyone's wearing the UGG boots like I am, and maybe yeah. you are, but you're looking pretty glamorous.
0: Uh, tracksuit pants and socks. <laughs> But and a heater by my favorite
1: combination oh you sound exactly like me except I got
0: ET socks today I saw your ET socks on Instagram they're amazing
1: are uh, literally my most favorite thing ever so there you go <laughs> now before we get started I'm really super excited to have you back I mean we spoke before on episode 99 and now we're you know into the 300 so that's pretty crazy but it doesn't feel like that long ago. It never feels like that long ago, you know. No. It always feels like it was just kind of yesterday.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, now I'm going to introduce you for those people that don't know you. I should be I should be a good host and do that, right? Sure. Go on. <laughs> okay. Jessica Detman is a Sydney-based writer and performer. Her blog, Life with Gusto, turns a sharp but affectionate eye on modern parenthood, and it's very funny. After a decade of working as an editor for Random House Australia and HarperCollins, she started writing books, her first novel to be second best, Charmed Readers and Myself in 2019. And today we chat about her new book, This Has Been Absolutely Lovely. Uh, there it is and you can see it it's behind me see there yeah you've got it there I've got it here behind me (laughs) beautiful cover too were you really surprised when that came out and that cover was so beautiful
0: yeah I love this cover I think it's gorgeous um the brilliant hazel lamb did that and I think it really it captures everything for me yeah and I have I have matching plants now in my my (laughs) on-brand pot plant that I do not keep alive. That is nothing to do with me.
1: I love that. That's fabulous. You've got to really, you know, really get into that, I think. Now tell me, um, give us an elevator pitch for this story. And, look, I'm going to ask you to give a bit of a long elevator pitch because I want to try and see if anyone wants to ask you questions during this live stream. And I've got to find the questions. So... (laughs) If you are at home in your old boots or in your pyjamas or maybe you're wearing a nice frock around the house, whatever you do is fine. Um, if you want to ask a question uh, to Jess, pop it into the comments. Um, hopefully I can find them. Otherwise, we might answer them later on. We'll just make up questions that we think you might have wanted to. know, up. And, and we'll make up your name as well. But we'll do our best. <laughs> okay. So here's with a really long, tall okay. bit.
0: Elevator. Here is the long elevator pitch for this has been absolutely lovely. So this book is a novel and it's the story of a very messy family told through from the perspective of two of the members of the family. The first is Annie, who is a 58 year old, almost former pop star in that when she was in her early 20s, she was in a band called Love Triangle with her two male best friends they went to England since the early 1980s and their song was chosen for Eurovision to be the British entry. Annie was heavily pregnant when Eurovision came round, and it was decided that someone else should sing the song and Annie and her band gave up at that point and went home and started to live real, normal, fairly boring lives. Annie, when this book opens, is 58, she's got three children uh, and an ex-partner and she has just reached the point in her life where her kids have all grown up and left home and her parents who she has moved back in with to nurse because she's an only child have both finally died Mm. and she starts to think that this might be her chance to start her life again and maybe even restart her music career. The other person that this book uh, follows is her youngest child Molly who is uh, a heavily pregnant twen- late 20s um, home organiser who is mar- married very young living a very conservative life but hasn't really figured out what she wants to do she's a bit of a dilettante and what she's decided will happen is that when her baby is born her mother will step up and do huge <laughs> amounts of childcare for her Um, obviously that's not quite what is on Annie's radar and this book is about what happens when everybody's expectations of each other collide, everybody is living together for a few weeks over Christmas in this house and they all start to learn about each other and there are some secrets revealed and, uh, you know, shenanigans ensue. I've
1: got so many questions
0: for you, so many
1: questions just on that (laughs) Which was, can I say, a great elevator pitch. Now, I, love, I really like the idea. I mean, I like the idea. I'm an only child, but I find that really interesting. Um, an only child losing their parents, because I know growing up, I'm very close to my parents, and so they mm. almost become, you know, your proxy siblings in some way, because they're your entire family. So, how did you
0: explore that with your character? Ah, uh, that's a good question. No one's asked me about the only child aspect of this. Uh, I'm not an only I'm not an only child. I have two brothers minority. Um, yeah. Um, for Annie, she doesn't make her parents that. That's not who they are for her. She's very, very close to her dad, um, and I think their closeness has always tended to exclude her mother. So in the same way that her band is a um, a love triangle, as it turns out, something of an actual love triangle Um, there's that same situation within her original birth family where she and her dad are tight they leave her mum out a bit they don't really they don't really think of her very much she's um, her mum is there her name's Jean she's doing everything a good mother should do in the 1970s and 80s in suburban Australia and nobody really pays Jean very much attention Um, turns out there's more going on with Jean than they knew but, um, yeah, so Annie is very committed to them and very loyal and does a lot of work in looking after them. Um, her mother gets dementia before she dies, and so there's, there's been a lot for Annie. And I think by the time they've gone, Annie's just really sick of pretty much everyone, <laughs> including them, really.
1: Families together. There was... Yeah. There was this quote that I, I saw somewhere that said, you know, if you're hanging out with your family over Christmas, don't mention politics or climate change to anyone 15 years older than you or 15 yeah. years older. Just keep those things off the table. No,
0: that's just, it's not going to go well. <coughs> might I go. think you can add COVID and vaccines to
1: that list yeah. now. Probably add a lot of things to that yeah. list. <laughs> just talk about, I don't know, food, the food. The food. Yeah, pretty
0: much the
1: food. <laughs> I love that. Now, I just want to go back a little bit to your Euro- yeah.
0: Because like are you a massive fan of Eurovision? Um, I'm, I'm quite a fan of Eurovision. Um you get dressed up, Junior. No, I don't get I don't get dressed up. I'm <laughs> I'm really I'm more a fan of ABBA than of Eurovision, to be honest. And and honestly, this is the this is the picture that inspired the whole book. Oh, I love that. It's just look at Anneta's face. She's so left out. Oh, that's and cool. if you pretend that this is actually a band of three. Ooh. that's really my jumping off point for this book
1: wow um, that's
0: a yeah book. so, so yeah. no I'm not I'm not as into Eurovision as I am into ABBA but I, <laughs> I also do love the Will Ferrell Eurovision movie that's, <laughs> that's a family favorite around here
1: I know there's a few people who have the Eurovision parties and they dress up and they yeah have- I love that. I love no, that. I did.
0: I got a bit, I got quite into it briefly when I was working in publishing one year and there was a Eurovision book being published and the author um, absconded mid-book <laughs> and, and the publisher and I finished it. So we learnt a lot really fast about the history of Eurovision. Interesting.
1: Um, Maybe yes. Yeah.
0: That, that must have all just settled deep down into it somewhere.
1: I where that came from. You know, was that something that you loved? But I think it sort of might have just downloaded inside your brain. I think that's right, yeah. What I really loved about this book, and you touched on it a little bit with one of your characters, you know, when they become a mother, people just think, oh, you're just a mother. And, you you know, it's very hard to retain your identity, particularly when your kids are small, I think. And this is for any stay-at-home parent, not just. Yeah, yeah. Mothers, but I can only talk from my experience.
0: I <laughs> only have been a mother, yeah. <laughs>
1: But I really love how you explore how we see ourselves through our different roles in life, you know, child, lover, partner, parent, grandparent. And I think that's a really interesting idea, particularly the way we change and are changed after motherhood. Did this was this inspired by you know things that you've lived through as well?
0: Yeah, a bit. Um it was more inspired though, I think, by um seeing the expectations that some people in my generation have had of their own mothers. Mm-hmm. I've, um, you know, I, I was, I've been really lucky. My mum has been very supportive and around and we're very close and that's been great. Um, but I didn't require her as I think a lot of people do to do hands-on long-term, you know, two to three day a week childcare. A lot of people have really needed that. And that doesn't allow for um, the, the grandmother to to be a grandmother, you know? You end up being a proxy parent, which is a really different role. Um, And so it was more that, that sort of made me think about all of this. And then of course, when you're writing about a family, everybody is playing as many roles as there are people in the family, you know? You are someone's sister, but you're someone's daughter, but you're someone's mother, but you're someone's, you know, daughter-in-law. And that just makes for amazing, um, you know, character interaction and drama. And comedy, yeah, yeah, it is
1: absolutely. <laughs> and there
0: was, yeah, you know, I really liked
1: the tone of the book because it was sort of that really dry humour, but you dealt with some serious things, but in this really kind of almost joyful but cynical way. <laughs> I don't know how you did that. That sort of sums me up.
0: <laughs> well,
1: that's why we'll probably get along really
0: well. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I think you know all of these awful things that happen to everybody all the time. They're not made worse by having a laugh about them, really oh. ever.
1: In fact, I think that's what we do as humans. That's how we survive, you know, when yeah. during those really difficult times. I like that, a joyful cynic. I think that's how we should describe mm. ourselves from now yeah. on.
0: That's might, going on my Twitter bio, yeah, if I'm never brave t-shirt. enough to do things oh, on Twitter.
1: <laughs> have a t-shirt as well, joyful cynic.
0: Joyful cynic. <laughs> that's
1: perfect. I love that. Now, twice now that I've seen for both of your books, Jessica, you've been compared to Liane Moriarty. I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, take it. Definitely take it. But does it freak you out?
0: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, I'm I'm staying really calm and relaxed about It'll it be because cool's a kicker. My my sales aren't quite at Leon's level yet, but you know, she she's working away and I'm working away. Maybe we'll get there one day. No, that's that's really delightful and exciting. Um, it would be nice if you know, Bruce Witherspoon was one of those people saying that. But yeah, we'll Make give it sure. time. We'll give it time. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably at home watching the live stream. So. Hey, I'd say that's exactly what Reese Yeah. Pop a question in the comments, Reese. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we might get to it, we'll try and get to it if we can. <laughs> what do you think the comparisons are between you and Leon? Like, what do you think people are comparing you?
0: Uh, I think a lot of it is the, the settings. We, we're both Sydney writers and we write about the same, roughly the same kind of socioeconomic group. We're from the middle class white women. Camp, which is what we mostly write about, and that's a whole other (laughs) question to to think about. Um, And and I think it is a mixture of of humour and and darkness as well. Mm. You know, you look at the human condition, and it's not it's not all bad, but it's not all good. Mm, That's right. Probably do that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: And I like the kind of secret lives of people. I mean, I know literature does this a lot, and you know, television. Yeah. As well but the secret lives of people and I really I just love to explore that idea of how you are perceived then yeah. how you want others to perceive you and that's particularly you know important today with all our social media but then what's really going on inside your head as well like I find that really interesting and and the other thing is you know as a kid you only know your grandparents as you know people who are much older than you you only yeah. know your parents as these boring parents who keep telling you to brush your teeth like you don't <laughs> But they're real, like they're actual sure. humans and, yeah. And you don't appreciate their past or, you know, the things that they want. So I find that really interesting. Is that something you kind of wanted to touch on as well? Yeah, I did.
0: I did because it's really it's really sad to think that some of the people you love best in life are never going to really know you for who you think you are. You're only going to be, you know, what use you are to them. <laughs> and I think with kids and grandchildren, that can be something that happens. Mm. um but yes yeah, so everyone you know they contain multitudes and they're they've got secrets you know most and that's the other thing I like to write about is that most people's secrets are not that interesting like they're not you know no nobody's secretly Hitler there's just little they've got little secrets unless you are the meaningful. Sorry, I've, I've just given away a spoiler. No one is equally yeah. killer. I was kind
1: sort of sort skirt around that, but I was like, yeah. unless you're writing a crime thriller, then your secrets might be pretty bad. Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, but, but if you're writing a crime thriller, it is not going to be a drawing on the front. So <laughs> that's the trick.
1: <laughs>
0: that beautiful,
1: beautiful color. Yeah. I love how you've got the plant in the background. You've really <laughs> captured, you know, that. So nice. you it that kind of green color behind you. Yeah. <laughs> now. Which writers inspire your work, or you know, maybe not inspire your work, but which writers do you really enjoy and think, yeah, like we share sort of a commonality between us? And
0: yeah, um, oh, who do I love? I love, um, uh, Nick Hornby is one, a big one for me. His work, yeah, he writes fascinating ordinary people, and he really gives great respect to their everyday interactions. And that's something that I really love. I, I love writing um, you know, a scene of people eating dinner or you know, getting out of the car when they come back from the beach. I'm really, I'm really into the minutiae of of that and the you know observing how that works. Um, another author I've just actually discovered who does that really brilliantly is um Catherine Heine, who's written Early Morning Riser. This is just a beautiful kind of um yeah, it's a beautiful observational book, and I love that. Um,
1: Another beautiful cover too.
0: Yeah, it's a great cover. My, my all-time favourite fiction writer and one who I desperately want to emulate in every way possible is um, Barbara Tropedo, who I think has stopped writing. She's in her 80s. I hope she hasn't, but she wrote five or six novels um, in the early 80s and 90s, um, set mostly around Oxford in England. And, again, character-driven, pretty ordinary people leading quite beautiful lives and little bits of stuff happening to them, and that's what I really uh, find great. I like to read that and I would like to write that too.
1: And I think it's quite underrated because, you know, when you look at our lives, our lives are 99.5% those things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if it was good enough for Jane Austen, (laughs) writing, (laughs) writing about all that, I think it's... You know, it's got a it's got a grand tradition.
1: Ooh, it is. and look, oh, I mm. still love love reading Jane Austen. I take yeah. three chapters, and I'm right back there. I'm right I'm back, back, back there, and in the drawing room, and yeah. with the pianos, and I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. I mean, these kind of novels, you know,
0: that's kind of their history. Yeah. Right the domestic, the domestic is mm. it's a lot, and it's a lot of the world is yeah. is fairly domestic, even if. The thing is, even if you go somewhere else to work, everybody's got a domestic situation that they're in for at least part of every single day. Absolutely. Like, like it or not.
1: Yeah, I do think it should be <laughs> celebrated more, at least observed more. So I like yeah. those books. So do you have a favourite Jane Austen book?
0: Um, I think Emma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's down to Clueless. That was totally clueless doing <laughs> 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 But but Pride and Prejudice, Emma. You know I'm fairly basic in my often take.
1: Is, I mean it's the classic, and whether you yeah. love or hate Darcy, I mean it's still sort of that classic one. I actually really like playing at Abbey as well, going to that. Gotcha yeah, yeah, that is pretty excellent. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. Bit of a. I like how she sort of went off path a little bit with that one. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's nice to know that you can you can get out of your lane every now and then. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: it. <laughs> now, I really like the idea of the lives we choose and the lives that choose us. Tell us about this. I'm fascinated by this idea.
0: Yeah, so I I feel like that is something I really wanted to explore because it's particularly relevant to women, I think. Um, Women often find themselves choosing something and without actually really deeply understanding the implications of what that choice is. And by that, I'm talking about motherhood. And and there are several people in this book who really suffer from some um, serious maternal ambivalence, to put it mildly, um, and, and who don't feel like they're li- living the life that they chose because, you know, once you have become a parent, you have so much less choice often in in how you live your life and um and also there's the question of living a life that is like what you grew up with you know that's something that there are three generations in this book and they all really struggle with that because they've all seemingly had great childhoods and then the question remains do you then try to replicate that for your own children despite it not being what you want you know do you owe it to your children to raise them the way you were raised if you were happy with that yeah um that's so but that's something I really wanted to explore
1: it's one that's so
0: different like how do you yeah, raise... it's totally different and well, we were raised in this
1: world like we didn't have mobile phones in our pockets we didn't have any of that stuff and that's a big deal you
0: know yeah like, it is it is a very different world and and it's a terrifying world for some people to think about bringing a child into you know molly the, um, the girl in this who has a baby really struggles with the kind of overwhelming idea of what this, what this world is that she's brought a child into and, and maybe that she didn't put enough thought into it. That's something that really, really gets to her, um, mm. is that she just followed this biological imperative and suddenly is like, well, what? <laughs>
1: you can never know what it's like I remember <laughs> saying to my closest friends why did you not tell me what childbirth was like and I like we're we sure you we, you know we're pretty sure we
0: did and I was like yeah no, you you've seen what we're doing yeah There's
1: no way you told me that yeah <laughs> you should have like really prepared me for that so I think I you think wouldn't, you wouldn't have believed them <laughs> you know, like, but even afterwards you know like keeping the baby alive and breast mm. those kind of things like I really feel like I wish people had been really raw and really open to prepare me for what was ahead of me and so I like having these really open conversations because I think they're really important yeah I
0: think they're really valuable yeah and that's that's absolutely something that Molly didn't think of like she just has no clue she's she's barely thought about the birth let alone what's going to come for the following (laughs) 70 years
1: (laughs) I remember um you know it was time to check out of the hospital I was like really you want me to take this human yeah I can't even operate the capsule let alone (laughs) what (laughs) I'm not gonna have nurses outside my door when I go to sleep I don't think I can do this (laughs) that's so scary isn't it those first few
0: days
1: (laughs) (laughs) just watching them breathe like constantly With,
0: with the first one the second one you're like well I didn't bang your head too many times putting you in the car yeah, oh, you're right. right.
1: First one you have health direct on speed dial. <laughs> right. The second one you're like, oh, you're fine. <laughs> you <do laughs> and you hear these stories of you know parents going, oh, you're fine, and then they find out you know their arm is broken or something. So that's right. Yeah,
0: you, they're fine until the time they're not
1: fine. Right until so the X-ray says that maybe there's been a break in the arm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but
1: we do our best. We do our best. That's all you can do. <laughs> and and it is tricky because you are trying to be you know the best parent you can be but then trying to also have a sort of a life of your own and then and not completely lose
0: yourself in it yeah and that's that's tricky for both annie and molly because annie had a sense of what she was going to be when having kids intervened whereas molly hasn't even figured that out yet you know there's a scene where molly is talking to some friends um who are her age just before she has her child and one of them says I didn't know that's what you would end up doing and she has this whole panic about what do you mean end up doing I'm not in my ended up doing like we're 28 this isn't we're not are we how are we supposed to have found that out now? yeah that, that whole you know when do you stop reinventing yourself and go that's what I am and that's who I am and that's frightening
1: I love that because I had this conversation with someone about how every story is a coming of age story so you should be coming of age all the time all the time yeah constantly yeah Yeah. from 17 to 18 or whatever it is yeah come of age all done finished I'm a very different person when I was 18 yeah come of
0: age every day (laughs)
1: i think think that's part of learning and growing and not knowing everything and knowing that you don't know knowing that you don't know yeah be willing to be really questioned and challenged i think and i really like that when someone does that in a respectful way and says well why do you think that and then sometimes you know you have a very strong opinion well i think that because of x y and z but sometimes you know i've been made to think well why 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 do do i think that yeah Yeah, maybe i need to sort of more or think more or you know talk to people more so I like being
0: challenged in a respectful way <laughs> <laughs> and there's a few people in this book who do that that respectful challenging and they're um oh no, most of, some of them are men but also um Annie's friend Jane who is just a real kick in the pants character who I just those characters yeah <laughs> definitely
1: and families there's so much to explore in families right because these people they come together couple of times a year like you know the whole family for these special events and there's so many different dynamics and personalities and just because you're related doesn't always mean you have things in common or that you even
0: like each other Hmm. and Um, that's right and then there's this sort of um there's a shorthand that people have and there's this lack of formality where with other people if you got to see them twice a year you politely gloss over everything but a family will get in there and be like what is wrong with you like what what is this what's become of you this year you know <laughs> they, they will get straight to the heart of it especially this family yeah that's true that's they true don't have to pull their punches.
1: Yeah. families will keep you real that's for sure yeah. <laughs> Now I want to talk about writing process I mean your second novel how has your writing process differed from book one to book two or has it not differed at all
0: Uh, Both times were fairly chaotic and involved a lot of procrastination and crying. They weren't fun for anyone. Sounds pretty standard, I think. Yeah, that's that's pretty normal, I'm starting to realise. This one I found really difficult because technically it was more challenging than than How to Be Second Best, which was a first-person narrative, um, present tense, pretty straightforward plot-wise, you know, kind of very rom-commy arc this one was trickier and involved different time periods and several different voices and I couldn't figure out which you know how to tell it for ages it took me a long time to figure out the voice of this book and writing in the third person wasn't something I'd ever done before so that was I was new (laughs) that's a learning curve um but so that it was hard it was a really hard book to write but I'm you know I'm glad I got there in the end yeah second book second book stress that you've done yes. it yeah Bring and people it. keep saying the really unhelpful comment of you know you can write a book you've written a book and you're like well oh, I don't know I can write a second book <laughs> I've <haven't> only <laughs> written a first book it's really hard there's no evidence I can write a second book and I'm now saying that about the third well there
1: is evidence you can write a second one
0: so. now there is but but there's no evidence I can write a third
1: nailed it <laughs> And I think that comes with you know being a creative person or you know being a writer that self doubt. I think so. Yeah. Creativity, I find a I minute, mean, but it probably comes with other things as well. But it's just so present when you're creating something. I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because you do, you do have to not look in the face the fact that you are building something out of nothing quite a lot of the time. Absolutely. Otherwise, it's too frightening, and you just stop
1: paralyzed yeah you yeah. get paralyzed by the thought of how big that is yeah I also think um you know when you're creating something um you know there's a lot of fear in and self-doubt but I think self-doubt can be can be positive as well hmm. it's a bit of a knife edge I think I, I think, think so yeah you don't want to be so overconfident but yes, no <laughs> self-doubt can make you I think be better you know and, and, and make you really have a critical eye on your work and, and yeah. you have some an editing background so yes sir. I don't
0: lack like a critical eye.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How does that work there with your editing background? Are you able to look at your work from a really sort of outsider's perspective? Or um,
0: I, I, the 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 real benefit of that is that I know what an editor can, editor can do and will do. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like I have, someone's got my back. So if there's something that I, like I usually know, and I think a lot of authors do, you know when something isn't quite right in your manuscript, but that doesn't mean you know how to fix it. And just knowing that the collaborative process of an editor working with you is to come often can give you the confidence to go, well, I will, I will move past that. I won't let me, I won't fall at that gate. I'll keep going and then I'll come back and someone will help me because editors help you. They're amazing. Yeah. Particularly my editor, who is incredible. Shout out to your editor. Shout out to Kate, yeah.
1: And it is, it's about creating the best product you can. So I think yeah. all feedback's difficult. But I think if you're all on the same page about trying to make this thing that you're creating the best it can possibly be, I mean, I think
0: that's where you can take feedback a bit easier, possibly. Yeah, you know that nobody's, criticizing you for the fun of it you know (laughs) they're not they're not the critics (laughs) they're there to help avoid that situation down the track because somewhere in the book you know you're going to be
1: thanking them for the editing so they want to do a good job too yeah
0: yeah if their name's going to be in it
1: (laughs) a last question for you jessica and i've just loved this chat so much and i love how we've talked about the book but we've also talked about life which is always what happens when we talk talk on this podcast (laughs) Uh, why do you write, or why do you keep writing? Because I possibly asked you this in episode ninety
0: nine. Oh, why do I write? Um, initially, I wrote because I wanted a pajama job, but it turns out this year that everyone can do any job from home, so I needn't have become a writer. <laughs> I could have done something else. Um, no, I write because there's just there's people and voices in my head, and and I and I want to. I want to capture stuff. I really like finding the funny moments in life and keeping them and capturing them and and entertaining people. I really like entertaining people, um, and this is one way to do it yeah. without, you know, wearing jeans. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All about all about the workwear.
1: I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah. I think my in the morning is the most important start to my day. <laughs> <laughs> Which are often hidden by my seven-year-old, so, but that's a whole other Yeah, story. I don't know. I can
0: never find my Ugg boots at night. I don't know where they go. Underneath the couch, I suspect. <laughs> no.
1: Yeah. I cannot work under these conditions. Seriously. <laughs> Outrageous. Outrageous. <laughs> well Jessica once again it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you this will also be a podcast episode and the video will be up um on the Facebook page for whenever you want to uh watch it or listen to it whatever that's the great thing about podcasts and live stream you can dip in and out whenever you feel like it um you don't have to watch it at any particular time or listen to it so so lovely to have you back thank you so much for having me and uh another book that I thoroughly enjoyed so thank you so much for your
0: time My pleasure, thanks Jenny.